This is Whitley Strieber, and this is Dreamland. You've reached the edge of the world. Today on Dreamland, I'm going to unpack, that is to say, to deconstruct the UAP hearing that took place on Wednesday. I'm going to do this literally statement by statement, clip by clip, analyzing each statement and each clip in the context of the experiencer phenomenon and what we know and what we experience. Uh, it is going to be very, very different from every other UFO show, every other show that is analyzing this. It's going to, in many ways, go very much deeper. Uh, I will be referring frequently to my book, Them, and you will find, uh, eerily enough, that Them kind of presages this whole thing. Uh, all of the issues that are discussed in the hearing are analyzed in Them, which was, of course, started nearly two years ago. And uh, how did he do that? Well, um, I'm like most experiencers who are deeply into this. I have a funny kind of a connection with the visitors. I wouldn't say I'm sitting down across the table from them, but um, something to do with this implant, I think. I don't know. Anyway, uh, let's take, let's just get started. Uh, this is going to be a fascinating hour, an hour and a half uh, as we go statement by statement that was made in the hearing, and we unpack each statement in the context of my ideas, a life that has been lived with this for most of my life, and I've written many books about it, and I'm not without a certain amount of insight at this point in time, I would hope. So let's get started. Let's now go to the first clip. Um, what we'll be doing throughout the show is I will be playing a clip and then making commentary on it. And this first clip is about uh, reporting and public reporting. Beyond the reporting system that you think that we can do as a government to encourage and facilitate more civilian reporting? I think we're civilian. doing it right now. Okay, great. I think this hearing is is going to show the American people that their government takes this topic seriously. And how and, and how about civilians that may not be pilots? What kind of process could be in place for civilians who are not pilots who may have UAP encounters? Do either of you have any suggestions that could facilitate that? My recommendations would make uh, would be to make that a sens a sensor centric operation in order to make it as objective as possible. Okay, sir, Mr. Favor. No, I agree with Mr. Graves on that. Okay. Ryan Graves here makes the point that there should be a reporting system. He says we're doing it right now, but what we're doing right now, what this hearing is about, is not a reporting system that doesn't exist. It is about uh, creating one. And I must say here, it's very important that any such reporting system be independent of the Department of Defense and completely outside of the whole secrecy process. Uh, right now, we have the center, uh, the uh, we have MUFON, rather, and the National UFO Reporting Center. Not only that, it needs to be worldwide, and it needs to be something more than reporting. It can be, there can be ways of looking at the sky that we uh, we can track these things much more thoroughly than we do in the public sector. I would guess, and I think you'll see this over the course of the hearing, they are tracked extensively from satellite, but 
secretly. We could track them from the ground publicly. Why not? And why should it be even a national process? Why not international? An international reporting center, perhaps attached to the UN, but in any case, independent of any particular national government. Mr. Gresh, finally, do you believe that our government is in possession of UAPs? Uh, absolutely, based on interviewing uh, over 40 witnesses over four years. And, and, and where? I know the exact locations, and, and those locations were provided to the Inspector General and some of which to the Intelligence Committees. I actually had the people with the firsthand knowledge um, provide a protected disclosure to the Inspector General. This clip is extremely interesting, of course. Uh, David Grush mentions that he is aware of the presence of craft. Uh, this is what he said in his interview with Leslie Kane and Ralph Lumenthal and uh, with uh, Ross Coutart. And he doesn't mention where they are. Years ago, when I talked to General Arthur Exxon about this, he did mention that there were craft. And I had the impression that they would be have been at Elgin Air Force Base. Maybe they're still there for all I know. And in fact, uh, Congressman Gates, I will comment, I believe mentioned in one point during the course of the show that he and another congressman, some other congressman went down there to talk to some pilots and to get some video and some pictures and were initially blindsided. And I wondered at the time, was it because there were actually intact UFOs next door and they didn't know it? And the Air Force personnel were definitely afraid of them blundering into the wrong place. Are they still there? I don't know. In any case, uh, there's been rumors for years that there were intact UFOs. And I have only had one say, thing to say about them. And I've been saying this for years. If there are intact objects, at least one of them should be in the Smithsonian Museum, period. Mr. Grush, thank you for being here, brother. Thank you all very much. Um, have you faced any retaliation or reprisals for any of your testimony or anything on these lines? Yeah, uh, I have to be careful what I say in detail because there is an open uh, whistleblower reprisal investigation on my behalf, and I don't want to compromise that investigation by providing anything that may uh, help provide somebody information. But it was very brutal and uh, very unfortunate, some of the tactics they used to um, hurt me both professionally and, and personally, to be quite frank. Yeah. It's very unfortunate, as they say, when you're over the target, that's when they do the most firing at you. Do you have any personal knowledge of people who have been harmed or injured in efforts to cover up or conceal these extraterrestrial technology? Yes. Personally. Have you heard, have anyone been murdered that you would think, that you know of or have heard of, I guess? I have to be careful asking that question. I directed people with that knowledge to the appropriate authorities. Maybe in a, um, if we could get it, get in a um, confidential area skiff, we could talk about that. But unfortunately, um, we were denied access to the skiff. And that's very unfortunate in this, in this scenario. Let's go through this one piece by piece. First, last, 
A SCIF, S-C-I-F, is a sensitive compartmentalized information facility, a place where secret discussions may be held about classified information. Uh, there has been a great deal of difficulty behind the scenes about this committee in general. Uh, there are people in the Congress and certainly in the Defense Department who don't want this committee, didn't want it to proceed, and don't want it to succeed. And preventing them from talking to people like David Grush in a legally constituted secret space is one of the keys. That's why there's so much resistance. Perhaps the committee will be powerful enough to overcome that resistance. We shall see. But you will hear the skiff mentioned from time to time over the course of this hearing. And just know that there is a great deal of maneuvering going on behind the scenes because ultimately these Congress people have a legal right to hear what this man has to say behind closed doors. And the Defense Department, as much as it doesn't want to, has to provide them with the tools they require. All right, now let's talk about the rest of it. Uh, contextually, I've had a lot of trouble, as you know. I've moved to another country at one point in order to finish my book, Them, uh, because no matter how much I may be disparaged, ignored, pushed aside, and it, it pretended I don't exist, I do exist. And believe me, the intelligence community takes a generally very dim view of me uh, because I'm an outsider. I'm out of control. They know perfectly well about my relationship with the visitors. They know that this implant is not a toy. It's not a joke. It's not a, a, some kind of fantasy. It's a real device and it works extremely well. It is a research tool and it is also a communications tool and I do know how to use it. So, uh, and they know that perfectly well. Uh, so I, I was followed home this morning from my exercise in my car. Very nerve wracking in view of what I j you just heard. Uh, there have been murders. Uh, there have been illegal acts, just dozens of them up and down the line and beyond murder, there's been much more. Uh, this has been hidden illegally on a massive scale, as we shall see over the course of the hearing, and people are endangered by it. Whether or not I am, I don't know. But it certainly is intimidating to find yourself followed. And uh, I've been trained in how to detect things like that, and I did detect it, and it was, I am correct about it. It did happen. The uh, uh, situation is very dire. And I'm not saying that the Defense Department is alone in wanting to protect this material. I think it goes deeper. I think that there are elements within the power structure of planet Earth who want to protect this. And there are maybe elements outside that want to protect it. Uh, remember the much debunked uh, Crabwood 
formation, crop circle formation. And yes, many crop circles are entirely real. They are anomalous. And no, we don't understand most of them. This one was meant for us to understand. What it said was, beware the bearers of false gifts and their broken promises. Well, the people with the UFOs hidden away in hangars are the recipients of the false gifts and the broken promises, because you don't notice any UFOs of ours floating around, do you? We can't get that propulsion system figured out after 80 years of trying. That's the truth of it. The transmission ends with, there is good out there. And there is. And we, the people, are the ones who are going to be in touch with that good long before anyone who keeps secrets from us. Um, Mr. Grush, what, what about you? What was your experience after you came forward? Well, uh, it's only been about two months or so, so I guess my experience has been yeah, overwhelming support from uh, former colleagues of mine that have you know, privately messaged me, and, and I do appreciate that. Uh, but I, I do have knowledge of um, active planned uh, reprisal activity against myself and other colleagues, and it's very, very upsetting to me. Coming from where? Uh, certain senior leadership at previous agencies I was associated with. And that's all I'll say publicly. But I can provide more details in a closed environment. Okay. Well, I, I hope you understand that um, there would be bipartisan rejection of any attempt uh, to vilify, demonize, or engage in other reprisals against our witnesses and people who are telling the truth from their perspective. Yeah, there were certain colleagues of mine that were brutally administratively attacked. And it you know, actually makes me very upset to, as a leader to see that happen to other coworkers and actually superiors of mine over well, the last three years. How do you account for that response? That, that seems like a bizarre response. Uh, I call it administrative terrorism. That's their, their quiver, their tool in the toolbox uh, to silence people, especially you know, the uh, career government service cares about their career, cares about their clearance, uh, their reputation to climb the ladder. And when you threaten that uh, flow, career path, uh, uh, a lot of people back off. Um, but I'm here to represent those people. So, Administrative terrorism. What a phrase. That's powerful stuff. And I am sure that David Grush and others that he speaks of are really in a state of terror about what is being done. I know people who have endured this outside of the intelligence community who have no recourse to something like the power of the United States Congress to save them. I'll give you an example. This goes back way, way far. Let's go all the way back to the Roswell incident. Uh, Mac Brazel's son, v, uh, Vern, and his friend, D. Proctor, were both with Mac when he found the debris and bodies, let's face it, they were found too. Um, Vern left New Mexico, 
when he got older. He was eight when this happened, seven or eight. Uh, and he was in the Navy. He briefly talked to friends in the Navy about what had happened. He shot himself in the head in the mid-20s. Was he intimidated into doing this or did it just to serve him too much? I, I don't know the answer to that question. D. Proctor never spoke about this except one time to Kevin Randalls, who uh, D. happened to pick up the phone when Kevin was calling to talk to his mother, Loretta. And he spoke very briefly about it, but remained unwilling to discuss it in any length or his entire life. And probably that all came from the fact that Mac was taken by the Air Force, imprisoned illegally for a week, and brutally intimidated into silence and terror. Administrative terror. Paul Benowitz, another gentleman uh, who was literally done to death, uh, William Moore, as much as admitted this, done to death. And how many others? I've been certainly intimidated. I won't bellyache about my stuff, but there's plenty of it. Others in MUFON, all through this community, have struggled with administrative terror for years. Years. That said, it is not the fault of the Defense Department that it's like this. As I point out in them, they were essentially tricked into keeping this secret from the very beginning. And I show how that was done. But now that they are beginning to perhaps have some insight into the mistake that has been made, it's time for them to come clean and to say to the American people, yes, we have hours and hours of video of UFOs that has been absolutely illegally classified, inappropriately classified. I'm not so sure about illegally, but inappropriately classified. We do have materials. We have intact disks. And let's make it a movement. Let's get one of those darn things into the Smithsonian because these stuff belongs to the we the people. It crashed in our country, in on our lands. They don't belong to the Pentagon. The Pentagon doesn't own anything. We do. And so do those soldiers and their officers and the intelligence officers, because they also are we, the people. All of us, all of us are. In this, let's, let's follow the example of this congressional committee. Make this bipartisan. Let's put our anger and our fears, especially of each other, aside and do this together, all of us. Mr. CIA, Mr. National Reconnaissance Office, Mr. DOD, all of us. Let's do it together.
In the last couple of years, have you had incidences that have caused you to be in fear for your life for addressing these issues? Yes, personally. I just want everyone to note that he's coming forward in fear of his life to put in perspective, if they were really not scared about this information coming out, why would someone be intimidated like that? Well, at last, this is being made clear. This is dangerous, and there are people who make it dangerous. And that really has to stop insofar as those people are controlled on our side of the fence by the Defense Department and its various agencies, which I think probably is to a great extent true, but I would not necessarily think it's everybody. I think that this is just dangerous because it means change. It means profound change. Never forget the words that were said to Phil Corso when he asked what was on offer for us. The answer is a new world if you can take it. And boy, part of the you can take it is, can you bear the oppression of administrative terrorism and other even more bizarre sources of danger because they are there. At the same time, there's also something beautiful about the presence. It's terrifying. And I know people who are more or less on the inside who've had horrible experiences with it, horrible experiences. Even Robert Bigelow, when he spoke on 60 Minutes a couple of years ago about his own close encounter, did not say it was fun. And mine aren't fun either. They they happen fairly frequently and they're hard. But they're not dangerous in the sense of destroying me. They're not, no one's going to kill. I mean, if they were, visitors were going to kill me, I would have been here dead a long time ago. And they've also been here for a very long time. So are they really setting up to invade and take over our planet or something? I'm not sure that the simpler level of the military approach to this is appropriate. In fact, I'd go so far as to say, I'm sure it's not appropriate. We'll talk about that more over the course of this show. Okay. On the 19th of April, Dr. Kirkpatrick, head of Arrow, had said that he did not find any evidence of UAPs. You also stated that you had, um, in your interview, that you had briefed him on information that you were uncovering, but that he did not follow up with you. Were the items that you divulged to him pertinent to national security? Yes, uh, him and I had a classified conversation in April 2022 before he took over Arrow in uh, July two, uh, 2022, and I provided him some concerns I had. Do you know why he might not have followed up with you? Uh, I'm, I, unfortunately, I cannot read his mind. Um, I wish he did. Uh, I, was, I was happy to give sage counsel to him on uh, where to look when he took the, the helm of Arrow. This leads to a question. Should we trust Arrow and Dr. Kirkpatrick? The answer seems to be absolutely not. And yet it's set up there as a kind of honey trap for the media who will go running to it like they seem to always do and take at face value whatever authoritative thing it's supposedly going to say. 
right now, what he just said was, Arrow is a cover-up. It's a cover-up. Because Kirkpatrick knew what he had been told by David Grush when he said there was no evidence. But he must have known much more because it is readily available at the edges. It's not even necessary to dig very deeply of the whole classification system. It's not deep, deep, deep secrecies anymore. There's lots of stuff close to the surface that he, even under Title 10, which is the title that Arrow works under, he could have had access to that made would have made him say, if he was being honest about this, we are not sure, but there are, is evidence that we are working on. That was the truth and is the truth. There's actually, we are sure, as you'll find, and there's much more evidence that's been hidden than should have been. But that's another story, and we'll get to that story down the road uh, in this. Uh, but let's remember, they'll probably change the acronym of Arrow and just uh, give him another wig or something, but nothing that comes out of the Pentagon as things now stand is to be trusted. I'm sorry. They have lost their credibility. It's over. And with it, a lot of the media that goes on along with this, like, for example, uh, CBS, uh, Fox News did a terrific job on this uh, right after the hearing. Um, uh, uh, the, the other broadcast networks, CNN, did an excellent job, uh, a fairly good job, actually, uh, because they they tried to segue into politics afterwards. Now, Fox did this, too, to some extent. Come on, guys. Let's make a pact among ourselves, the people, the media, and the government. We keep this out of politics. You do not interview a congressman about this and then segue into his his political controversies like CNN and Fox did. No. When we're talking about this, this is what we're talking about. And we forget partisanship. Let's remember what Reagan said because it was wise. That was wise stuff. Important. So, okay. Let's go on down the road. I should say the forked path of this extraordinary committee meeting. Nearby. Okay, and follow up uh, in regards to the reporting procedures that Mr. Garcia had addressed on, as well as uh, Representative Bur Burchett. With the FAA, to your understanding, pilots that are seeing this, commercial airline pilots, are they receiving um, cease and desist letters from corporations for coming forward with information in regards to safety for potential air, airline passengers? I have been made privy to uh, conversations with commercial uh, aviators who have received cease and desist orders. So the American public should know that corporations are putting their own reputations on the basic, not the line, but ahead of the safety of the American people. And I think, would you agree with that statement? It appears so. Okay. Well, this is scary. A UFO nearly hit your airliner and your 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 pilot can't report it if he tries he gets a cease and desist order from the airline where is that coming from is that coming from those dark forces 
inside the Defense Department somewhere, the same forces that we may hear later uh, are blocking a bill that mandates reporting to the FAA of civilian UFO pilot sightings. What is going on here? Are we supposed to sit in these airliners? And because we're just the ordinary people, nobody really cares whether or not we die. I'm sorry, but that doesn't fly for me. Not at all. Not at all. I want my family to be safe up there. And the hell with the damned airline panjandrums at the top, concerned only about the way their airline looks and its reputation. They don't want their pilots to talk crazy. They think that'll make people not want to fly with them. Well, I'll tell you right now, what makes me not want to fly with them is the knowledge that UFOs really are up there. And these bozos are trying to pretend that it doesn't matter and it there's no chance of collision and everything is fine and everything is safe. And what if there was a collision and a plane crashed? Guess who wouldn't be told the truth? <laughs> You're looking at us. We the people. We would not be told the truth. Let's let's get past this, airlines. Come to the table. Face the truth. You let your pilots report this. And who's ever trying to block that bill, Senate bill, I believe it is, you stop that. We need the FAA to have a good, solid reporting system that works so that if there are threats and problems, we know about that. And pilots, above all, know what to look for. Grush, as a result of your previous government work, have you met with people with direct knowledge or have direct knowledge yourself of non-human origin craft? Yes, I personally interviewed those individuals. This is one of the great strengths and also one of the great weaknesses of this hearing. The great weakness, of course, is that Mr. Grush doesn't have firsthand knowledge of anything. He was an, administ an administrative level. He wasn't hands-on. And apparently there were people who were hands-on who tried to get to testify and were prevented from doing so. I don't know the full story of that. I'm hoping it will come out. And when it does, we'll certainly be talking about it. Um, the other two are, they had both had firsthand knowledge of UFOs. They saw them personally in their, in their planes. So we have that as a strength and a weakness. But also, David Grush is a sincere and man who has been variously uh, vetted. Uh, he is has filed a whistleblower complaint with the intelligence community inspector general, which is probably why he's still alive from what he says. So I think we can safely say that he's telling the truth here. And it's going to get a lot deeper. I, I've, I've known people who had direct knowledge and experience with these craft. And they never said that to me personally, but they made it clear by the way they didn't say it, that it was true. And of course, General Exxon was pretty plain about it. So, and that's General Arthur Exxon. He's a, was a commanding officer of uh, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. He was a family friend 
who after I published communion in 1988, my un one of my uncles and General Exxon met with me and explained to me a lot of things that uh, my book Majestic was based on. Majestic is a sort of mixture of fact and fiction about the Roswell incident. And the fact is very accurate, by the way. The fiction, I don't know, God knows it's fiction. But the fact part of it is is pretty accurate. So th that's another one that the studios would never touch. And I have a feeling I know why now, because there was somebody hidden in the in the wings of that theater saying, don't make a movie about the Roswell incident. I wonder if those days will ever end. I sure hope so, because uh, shadowy people behind the scenes have no business in a free country, in a free community like this. It's time to stop administrative terrorism. And I love David Crush for coming up with that phrase. That's very valuable and powerful stuff. Do you have knowledge or do you have reason to believe that there are programs in the advanced tech space that are unsanctioned? Uh, yes, I do. Okay. Yeah. And, and when you say that they're above congressional oversight, what do you mean? Uh, complicated question. Uh, so there's, you know, some, I would call it abuse here. So congressional oversight of conventional spe special access programs, so I'll use Title 10, so DOD as an example, right? So 10 U.S. Code Section 119 discusses congressional oversight of SAPs, discusses uh, the, the DEPSECDEF's ability to waive congressional reporting. However, the Gang of Eight is at least supposed to be notified if a, you know, a waived or waived bigoted unacknowledged SAP is uh, created, and that's public law. Well, so that how does, I mean, I don't want to cut you off, but yeah. how does a program like that get funded? I will give you generalities. I can get very specific in a closed session, uh, but a mis misappropriation of funds and uh, does that mean that Does that mean that there is money in the budget that is said to go to a program, but it doesn't, and it goes to something else? Yes, I have specific knowledge of that. Yep. Do you think U.S. corporations are over overcharging for certain tech they're selling to the U.S. government, and that additional money is going to programs? Correct, through something called IRAD. Mr. Grush, are you aware, do you have direct knowledge, or have you talked to people with direct knowledge, that there are satellite imagery of these events? Uh, that was one of my primary tasks at NGA, since we uh, process, exploit, and disseminate that kind of information. I've seen multiple cases, some of which, to my understanding, and of course I left NGA in April, so that's my information cutoff date, uh, but I personally um, reviewed both uh, what we call overhead collection and from other strategic and tactical platforms that were, I could not even explain prosaically, and I have a degree in physics, by the way, as well, and I, had, I, I am aware that you guys have not seen these um, reports, unfortunately. And I don't know why. It is, do you have direct knowledge, or you had spoken to people with direct knowledge, that this imagery applies to crash sites, crash, crash imagery? I can't discuss that in an open session. Okay. So they're using tax dollar cheats to, to make this all happen. Remember when I was an innocent young taxpayer, I read a story about the Pentagon paying $37 for a screw, $7,600 for a coffee maker, toilet seats that cost $640 each. And that was in 19, um, the 1980s. Nowadays, you can get a toilet seat from 1995. In those days, they were about 750 
So I thought to myself, boy, this what's going on here? This sounds like graft. And it's exactly what it is. And that's exactly what goes on today. It's why the Pentagon can't balance their books. Because there is, just as my friend Richard Dolan claims, there is a breakaway civilization. We're looking right at it in, the, in these crazy budget items. The Pentagon is supporting a huge secret level of activity by causing it, getting its suppliers to juice the cost of what they send to the Pentagon. And then they say, we can't even, we can't even tell you what our inventory is. We don't know what we have. We don't know what we spend. Now, this is called being out of control. This is out of control. And, you know, we're talking very gently here in this committee meeting about what is needed, but it's much more than what they're talking about. We need core level reform in this country of its defense situation, of its defense organization. A an organization that has been lying and spending vast amounts of money illegally for 80 years needs to be changed fundamentally. How to go about that? Well, I'm a noisemaker. I'm not necessarily all that much of a, of, of a wise man in terms of, in terms of organizational structures, but people who do understand how modern organizations work need to think about how do we reorganize our defense industry and our defense department from the ground up, because that's what we need to do. And boy, what a time it is. The climate, the planet's falling apart around us. We discover our, the Pentagon is rotten to the core. Uh, maybe the government in general is this one little committee. It's after all, it's a congressional committee, not even a Senate committee. And the congressional, the Pentagon, they know congressmen come and go very quickly, unlike senators who stick around for quite a while. So they figure they can wait this out. And maybe they can, and maybe they can't. Because we, the people, we don't come and go at all. We're always here. We're always here. And thank God for representatives who have the guts to speak on our behalf. And I thank, again, all the members of the subcommittee uh, have the guts to speak on our behalf and the three witnesses to speak on behalf of human dignity, human freedom, and above all, honesty. Mr. Grush, are you aware, do you have direct knowledge, or have you talked to people with direct knowledge, that there are satellite imagery of these events? Uh, that was one of my primary tasks at NGA, since we uh, process, exploit, and disseminate that kind of information. I've seen multiple cases, some of which, to my understanding, and of course I left NGA in April, so that's my information cutoff date. Uh, but I personally um, reviewed both uh, what we call overhead collection and from other strategic and tactical platforms that were, I could not even explain prosaically. And I have a degree in physics, by the way, as well. And I had, I, I'm aware that you guys have not seen these um, reports, unfortunately. And I it, don't know why. It is, do you have direct knowledge, or you had spoken to people with direct knowledge, that this imagery applies to crash sites, crash, crash imagery? I can't discuss that in an open session. Okay. Listen carefully. He doesn't say that the satellite imagery is analyzing crash scenes, sites. He says he can't discuss what's going on. 
He also says that there is some very strange technology being used. What this means to me is that there's something else they're looking at. Could it be that they're looking at abductions, close encounters? There was a man, a lovely man called Dr. David C. Webb, who showed up in our lives before communion was finished and after I had begun doing research for the book. He was a aerospace consultant. Uh, he was an, ex an expert in remote sensing. His clients included Defense Department, DARPA, USAF, NASA, Rockwell International, McDonnell Douglas, Rocketdyne, Space Services, General Space Corporation, uh, International Space Corporation, and he consulted with Harvard, Stanford, MIT, Caltech, and many other universities. In other words, he was fairly much of a top guy. So what in the world was he doing coming into the lives of a couple of little nobodies in upstate New York who are having alien problems. Well, uh, I think that's why he did. And I think he's, his presence in our lives means that what I'm expecting to happen, when and if these people even begin to consult or ask the DOD about uh, abductions, they're going to say, it's all nonsense. They don't, it's all completely insane. But Dr. Webb was anything but completely insane. And he had a tendency to call us after an event had taken place. He came up to the cabin. He was, a, as I say, well, again, he was a lovely man. And he means to me that somewhere in the intelligence community, there was a level of interest so great that they sent an absolutely top guy to befriend us. So when David Grush is being rather mysterious in his response here, is it because if and when they get the proper situation and he can speak to them frankly about the classified material, he's going to say, we were looking at abductions and close encounters. I don't know, but I wouldn't be in the least surprised. Gotcha. And also, Mr. Graves, are there any other industries that may be influenced by the NASA research on UAPs? And, and if so, how so? Well, I think there is a, a large swath of commercial capabilities that could be brought to bear on this topic from space-based or ground-based sensor systems that are available open source or through uh, commercial marketplaces. And I think NASA's work, as they work to identify and highlight specific parameters that can be found, we can take that information and, and promulgate this through the public sector so that we can have more open conversation about what we're seeing. This is the most interesting suggestion open source material, cameras and so forth, are available, readily available, to create a potentially even worldwide observation system and recording system to record the comings and goings of these 
objects. That would be incredibly valuable and incredibly useful. I, there are a lot of wealthy people in the world who take an interest in this. Some of them have had close encounters, in fact, and have the, uh, the ability to help fund an organization, a private organization, that would cover perhaps first just this, the Western Hemisphere and then eventually, over time, the whole planet in such a way that incoming objects can be recorded. Now, will they then disappear and you don't see them anymore? I don't think so, because I think that they, it's mentioned earlier that they didn't have, they don't have emissions, but they do glow at night. And uh, John, people like Melinda Leslie in Sedona uh, takes tours out every night, weather permitting, to see them. And they do see them. Uh, John Martin in uh, Georgia videotapes them all the time. And they're glowing. And I've seen one just a couple of years ago outside the back window of, uh, of, of a hotel room I was in, glowing brightly. So they can be detected. Of course they can be detected. People get them on cell phones all, all the time. And um, we could do this. I'm just pointing this out. We could do this. I'm just saying. Um, Mr. Graves, can you discuss the importance of seeking scientists to sit on your advisory board? Uh, absolutely. I think ultimately this is going to be a scientific problem. Uh, and not only that, it's also an engineering problem. Uh, I've uh, been working with the American Institute of Aeronautics and Astronautics to help them stand up a, a UAP integration committee to help integrate their engineering prowess into this problem. And so, yes, very much, I think this is an engineering and scientific problem as much as a national security problem. This is a whole lot more than an engineering and a scientific problem, a whole lot more. That is just a tiny part of it, actually. I, that's the only part that's ever been addressed, and the question of threat has been addressed by essentially creating a threat by shooting at them. Uh, once we started shooting, of course, they became threatening. Who, who, who wouldn't? Uh, not that they aren't intrinsically dangerous to an extent. They certainly are. I, I know that from personal experience. But not as dangerous as we've made them. I, that I also know. The... Um, there are many more disciplines that should have been involved from the very beginning, and then we probably wouldn't have had a shooting war with them. Uh, the academic community has to offer experts in religion and comparative religion and mythology. Anthropology should certainly be involved. Social sciences should be involved. A great deal more. This is not simply an engineering issue and a question of how do we make one like that? I mean, that's anyway, I assure you this is going to be the truth. This is a cargo cult, which is to say it's where people who have no idea what an airplane was in, in New Guinea after during World War II, when airplanes started suddenly landing, they'd never seen anything like that before. But airplanes landed, they, wealthy, wonderful things came out of them. So they built airplanes of bamboo and walked back and forth to them, making noises that sounded to them like the voices of the airmen who were unloading the supplies to try to get 
so the same supplies out of the bamboo airplanes. Well, um, we're, that's what we're doing so far. Uh, there's a whole nother level of mind that has to be engaged before we're going to really understand this. And um, uh, of course, a, a teaser, I'm writing a book about it naturally. <laughs> so anyway, uh, but just understand this. And, and I think everyone involved in Congress in the highly unlikely event that anyone in Congress would listen for a second to Whitley Strieber, uh, let alone the official world, more disciplines need to be involved, especially the human-centric ones, such as anthropology and the academic expertise of comparative religion and so forth. Uh, that's And that's just the tip of the iceberg. On many, many different levels, this can be an extraordinary advance for mankind. It is not going to go well if we just confine it to engineering and physics. Has there been an active U.S. government disinformation campaign to deny the existence of unidentified aerial phenomena? And if so, why? I can't go beyond what I've already espoused publicly about that. What he has said publicly is that there is a disinformation campaign, and obviously there's more he could say about it privately. I wonder how many UFO witnesses have been tormented by this kind of a campaign. They have certainly created in the media, and the media's got some thinking to do about what it has done in this, because the media has been going along with the laughter and the sneering for years and years. How much damage have they done? Are they responsible for? They need to think about themselves as journalists and reporters. They weren't careful enough. They were willing to let the Air Force lead the laugh, laugh, laughter, to lead the laughter. They were willing to go along with that. The upper echelons of the intelligentsia have reason to be frightened about the visitors because they're intimidating. They seem to be smarter than we are. No, they're not. I know them too well. They are not smarter. They are better informed, and they're and they are built differently. And that their brains are built differently. They have a different way of perceiving the world, and that makes them seem smarter. But believe me, they're not. We can understand them. We definitely can. And our intellectuals are every bit the equal of theirs. We're not stupid. We're not behind, and we're not wrong. Don't ever let them give you that impression, because they may try. Uh, they tried with me, and it became very clear that it wasn't true. Okay, so disinformation campaigns. When I published my book, Confirmation, in 1998, just as the book was coming out, a story appeared, a little story appeared in what was then a big deal, Parade Magazine, a big Sunday supplement. It, you know, it's still a Sunday supplement, but Sunday, mag Sunday newspapers are not a big deal anymore either. So, uh, and it's... It said that I had admitted that I had temporal lobe epilepsy and that I had made a contribution to the Epilepsy Foundation. Oh, wonderful guy. Only it was a lie. 
And it soon became evident when I called the editor, uh, uh, one of the editors at Parade Magazine, that it had been sent to them by a friend of mine in the Air Force. Only, I have no friend in the Air Force, believe me. And the, the uh, story was false. I had published in Transformation, in fact, the truth, which was the opposite that not only did I not have temporal lobe epilepsy and no epileptiform tissue in my brain, my brain had been tested to be exceptionally stable and resistant to hallucinations. That was the truth. So that was disinformation on a small scale with a little guy. Of course, it worked because you don't see me on the bestseller lists anymore, do you? And that's not the only thing that happened. There's a lot of other stuff too. Some of it was just done because of people being people, uh, other, other things, uh, like I ceased to be reviewed in the New York times. I haven't been reviewed in the New York times in years and years. And they, they've got a lot to answer for that newspaper, by the way, I'm not going to get into that today in this, but you know, first they put out a great story by Leslie Keen and Ralph Blumenthal, uh, that, changes the world basically in 2017 a tic-tac story and uh now they've got some rinky dink guy sort of a sort of a second rate skeptic is their go-to ufo guy i wonder what they'll say about this i'm hoping that we'll see a beautiful story by leslie or someone like that about this hearing in the new york times that would vindicate them but right now the jury's out and the jury's out on an awful lot of the media. You got to wake up and see, uh, uh, MSNBC, uh, for example, did a sneer thon on, uh, the hearing and come on, get off that. It's over. No more sneering. It turned out folks. It wasn't reflections on the cockpit windows. No, sir. In your experience, what data should the Aero program prioritize for potential collection? We have, you know, location, date, time, but are there other specific uh, characteristics that should be included in these reports? Certainly. Uh, I think that there's two categories that would be important. Uh, one would be kinematics and understanding the specifics of how the vehicle or objects are moving. Uh, and the second would be a more zoomed out approach of being able to uh, look at origin and destination uh, after before the incident, as well as getting a better contextual understanding of how these uh, these objects are interacting with each other. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Understanding how the objects are moving, where they're coming from. Simple questions, huge answers long journey ahead to find out those things. How the objects are moving, are they moving at all? Is this a penetration from another level of reality? Or is it, are these actual physical objects moving under some kind of power? Because when you see these often tiny little things racing along at breakneck speed over significant distances, you have to think to yourself, Power source is one thing, but what about the fuel? Where's that kept? And the answer is, I think, there is no discoverable power source, let alone any discoverable fuel. So how does it work?
Well, I've been pretty close to one of these things once. And it was, um, it had something in it that seemed to have ball bearings in it because when it was moving slowly, you could hear them clicking. And then when it sped up, it turned, turned into a, a humming noise and it began to emit a very significant magnetic field. And I understand from others that there is damaging radiation uh, in some cases if you get too close to them. Uh, and so there's something going on there. But is it generating this or drawing it out of something, drawing it in from another universe, another reality? Is it drawing it in from the uh, the the physics of the very small uh, zero point energy, if you will, we don't know any of those things. Where they're from? Well, they're probably not from this universe. Let me explain why I think that. If you can visualize the universe as a, a flat piece of material, very thick, very strong. And we're here and someone else is on, is on the other side and they want to come here. So they have to bend. This is when you, when you do a, a, a wormhole between two parts of the same universe, what you do is you have to bend the entire universe. And, and I'm screwing this up because it's it's reversed. This video is reversed, and make those two points touch. You have to bend the whole universe to make those two points touch. Well, an immediate problem is obvious. You have to have more energy to do that than exists in the entire universe. So maybe you can't do it. Maybe not. There's been some recent work that suggests that. Perhaps that's abs not absolutely true, that it may be that you can do it, in which case all bets are off. However, penetrating the brain between this universe and a parallel universe, if one exists, would be much less energy demanding. It would be much easier, in other words. So that could be where they're coming from. Who knows? Maybe they planted us here like a flower and they're coming back because, hey, what happened? They've turned into a weed. Well, I don't know about you, but I am a weed and I like being a weed. So they just have to get used to us, I guess. If they can, otherwise go home. At one point you had said that there, 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 there uh, has been harmful activity or aggressive activity. Has any of the activity um, been aggressive, been um, hostile? in your reports? Uh, I know of multiple colleagues of mine that got physically injured. And uh, the activity... And I gotta, by, by UAPs or by, by people within the, the federal government? Both. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. there has been activity by, by alien or non-human non technology and or beings that has caused harm to humans. Uh, I can't get into the specifics in a, an open environment, but at least the activity that I personally witnessed, and I have to be very careful here, because uh, you don't, you know, they tell you never to acknowledge tradecraft, right? So, 
what I personally witnessed myself and my wife was very disturbing. Yeah, I'd like to read a little bit from them. Uh, there are many there are story many stories of injuries caused by close encounters with UAPs and other similar phenomena involving personnel and close encounter witnesses. For the most part, the close encounter witnesses receive injuries ranging from burns, needle marks, and cuts to the physical trauma of rape and disappearing or unexplained pregnancies. The military cases are different, most of them involving burns of various kinds and brain damage. In, in 2022, it was made public the unclassified version of a paper by Dr. Christopher Green entitled Clinical Medical Acute and Subacute Field Effects on Human Dermal and Neurological Tissues, from which the Defense Intelligence Report Acute and Subacute Field Effects on Human Biological Tissues was derived. Despite recent claims to the contrary, it does say that, quote, Humans have been found to have been injured from exposures to anomalous vehicles, especially airborne, and goes on to explain that these injuries are related to various types of energetic emissions and fields. The symptoms reported are very similar to Havana syndrome. As soon as I read about Havana syndrome, I immediately got into contact with some of the people I know to be working on this and said, someone has back engineered it. Havana syndrome is alien technology. And of course, they just poo-pooed it. And, oh, God. I mean, the CIA even went at one point and said it was crickets. Oh, I mean, the, their disdain for the injuries to their own people is just stunning. Really stunning. But they eventually came around sort of and i hope that those people are getting what treatment they can be given and compensation that they probably need because these injuries are very debilitating so yeah there are injuries all right and why wouldn't there be we're in a shooting war with someone of course there are going to be injuries on both sides and we've got plenty of bodies in storage to show alien bodies or non-human bodies in storage to show that their side's taking punishment too. So until we disengage, we can expect more injuries. Uh, we shouldn't be too surprised by that. The interesting thing that David Grush says at the very end about him and his wife, and it was very disturbing. Are they abductees, do you suppose? Close encounter witnesses like Jim Simivan and his wife? Jim's been on my show. He's talked about his experiences. I know him and his wife, and I've talked extensively to them personally about their experiences. They were very ominous. Um, Robert Bigelow spoke of his experiences, as I mentioned earlier, on 60 Minutes, and they were quite frightening. I've gone on a long arc from utter terror to what it is now, which is a relationship. It is not all sweetness and light, but it's a relationship. It works. Uh, I could um, think of quite a few other relationships that would work better, but we're here. We're doing it together. My implant, as I said earlier, it works. I use it. It's involved in the writing of my books, heavily involved because it's a wonderful research tool. And you can see from the books that uh, 
I'm not under anyone's mind control. There's one thing that nobody's going to be able to control, including me, and that's my mind. So that's not a fact. That's certainly not a significant factor. But I just wonder, did he and his wife have experiences? I know that many people in the military, in the intelligence community who in, have engaged with this have had very difficult experiences. And as I also mentioned elsewhere in them, there is plenty of evidence that people have died, primarily people who were sent on aggressive combat, air combat patrols and things, probably without ever being told of the dangers they may face. Okay, let's keep on going down the road here. You said that the government has alien bodies or alien species. Have you seen, have you, have you seen the spacecraft? I have to be careful to describe what I've seen uh, firsthand and not in this environment, but I, I could answer that question behind, behind closed doors. Yeah. And have you seen any of the bodies? That's something I've, I've not uh, witnessed myself. I'm not too surprised that David Grush admits to having seen the craft or seems to admit it. He's very careful. So a lot of people have seen them. I think, frankly, I think my uncle Mickey Streeper may have seen them. Uh, I know that General Exxon probably saw them. Uh, as to the bodies, General Exxon said that he held one of them in his arms. Uh, General Twining said that he had spoken telepathically with one. He told this to his son, and the entity had said, we're not interested in human beings. You've got to be very careful with the visitors. They're going to lie a lot. In fact, I've sometimes thought they may not know how to tell the truth. It may not be something that's in their culture. Um, I can't be sure. I mean, but they're very different from us. And obviously that turned out not to be the case. So, yeah, there are bodies. Yeah, there are craft. And no, the public doesn't get to know. That has to end. We've been down that road. I'm not going to belabor it. The concept that an alien species that's technologically advanced enough to travel billions of light years gets here and somehow is incompetent enough to not survive Earth or crashes is, is something that I find a little bit far-fetched. And with that being said, you have mentioned that there's interdimensional p potential. Could you expound on that? I'll get to answer your first question, and you know I'm here as a fact witness and expert, but I, I will give you a, a theoretical framework at least to work off to kind of espouse uh, crashes, uh, regardless of uh, you know your level of sentience, right? You know planes crash, cars crash, n number of sorties, what, however high, a small percentage are going to end in you know mission failure, if you will, as we say in the in the Air Force, uh, and then in terms of uh, multi-dimensionality, that kind of thing, the the framework. Uh, that I'm familiar with, for example, is something called the holographic principle. Uh, both uh, it's, it derives itself from general relativity and uh, quantum mechanics, and that is 
If you want to imagine a 3D object such as yourself casting a shadow onto a 2D surface, uh, that's the holographic principle. So you can be projected, quasi-projected from higher dimensional space to lower dimensional. It's a scientific trope that you can actually cross, literally, as far as I understand, but there's probably guys of PhDs that we could probably but, argue about that. But you have yeah. not seen any documentation that that's what's occurring? Uh, only theory. a theoretical framework discussion. Yes. Okay. Um, okay. Very smart double question. Uh, first, why do they crash? Uh, well, it could be that they crash because they've never been here before. We think they've been here for a long time, but maybe there's a big, it's a big universe after all. This universe contains, we think, maybe as many as two trillion stars. It's an incomprehensible number, by the way, until you realize this little thing in here, this little thing it's about this big, contains one trillion synapses. So each one of us is half as big as the entire universe. Don't let anybody tell you we're not smart. Um, so, but why do they crash? I had some friends, in fact, Diana Pasoka was taken there, this place in New Mexico called the donation site. The theory being that they didn't really crash, that they donated these ships and the poor suckers who were in them. So, um, and I was, it was all set up. I was going to go to the donation site and I was going to meet, a, we we're going to go out and everything. I was going to see everything. What's there. Uh, and, and then it was canceled at the last minute for personal reasons. It had nothing to do with any, any, uh, any, any, I, this was, a, this was strictly a private enterprise deal, but they had given me the name of the hotel we were staying in. And so it took me about 20 minutes to figure out where the donation site was. And I went on my own and I walked around and indeed it's an, a very interesting area. It's near, um, a place in New Mexico where there were, uh, back in the 16th century, of the 17th century, excuse me, I believe, uh, Mary of Agreda, Sister Mary of Agreda was by locating to this area and teaching the local natives Christianity so that when the Inquisition came along, they wouldn't all be burned at the stake. Very sweet of her. And anyway, it's a, it's a weird area and you can feel that in the air. But is it a donation site? I sifted sand for a while and didn't find anything. Um, uh, the is it, it, it and are these craft donated or are they actually crashing? I think it could be part of both, but if they're donations, it gets back to the crabwood formation beware the bearers of false gifts of and their broken promises. Don't ever forget that because I, the the intelligence communities, if you get to the Crabwood for me, you'll find every kind of debunking of it in the world, all lies. The intelligence community, for some reason, was frantic to debunk that particular formation, even more than the rest of them. God, I remember Doug and Dave, and how it was that uh, this absurd story of these two fat old men making all of those fabulous works of art with boards on their feet, 
went singing across the world in the media. The, inner, the NPR reporters with snickers in their voices explaining how it was all really done. I again suggest to the media in the strongest terms, time to grow up. You don't live in a little world. You are confining yourselves to a little bitty corner of a great big world. So come out and explore with the rest of us, all of us common people who got there before you somehow or another. <laughs> in any case, um, the next part of the question is fascinating. And I don't know why they crash. I think if it, they're coming from another parallel universe, probably with a completely different physics, and they're relatively recent arrivals, at least some of them, then of course they would crash. There would be mis mistakes. And it wouldn't help if the local yokels were shooting at them, which we have been doing. Uh, okay, so then um, the next part of the question is, where are they from? And I find that a very interesting one, because as I've said before in here, implied, I think an it's more probable that they are from another parallel universe than they are from uh, from this one. And it is also possible that they are not physical in origin at all, and that they build bodies or grow them like we would diving suits. I think that's a real possibility that they are from that there are different layers of of consciousness and they are from a higher level of consciousness and dipping down into our level if so though and they build these bodies why would they build such weird looking bodies why wouldn't they look just like us why wouldn't they endeavor not to create a big kerfluffle like this is it because that's the only kind of shape or form of body their souls can fit into? Because they once lived on this level too, and they became physically extinct and are now projecting themselves into our level of reality for any number of different reasons, including trying to warn us about what's about to happen here. Because... They were warning me. I mean, I one of the first things that happened to me was I saw a vision of the world on fire. I record that, I believe, in transformation or maybe communion. I guess it is communion. And the world's on fire, folks, right now. So it was a prophecy, prophetic vision, and true. I have grandkids. A lot of you have kids. Judging from the demographics of my website a lot of you are kids young people anyway there's a lot of young people on my website old people have more trouble with this unless they have had experiences than young people who think it's fascinating and then they're right it is fascinating and i hope it doesn't get too fascinating may we live in interesting times fine just as long as they're not too interesting Based on your experience and extensive conversations with experts, do you believe our government has made contact with intelligent extraterrestrials? I know that this is true. And the 
quality of that contact, though, is another question. The reason being, as I said before, I mean, the general finding experience is a perfect example. The visitors lie very expertly, and they're in a conflict here. Therefore, they're going to lie. I think that probably a lot of the contact in, encounters that have happened have happened uh, under when the visitors were under duress, uh, captured after a crash, for example. They're not going to be telling you much of use or value. They're going to be saying things that aren't true in all likelihood. Have there been any more fulsome contacts, any richer ones? Well, I do know some rumors about some, that there have been some questions about some of the close encounter witnesses, and they've, it's generally been said that they were all a bunch of liars and nothing happened to them, which is not true. And uh, I mean, I've, I, I was raped and I suffered from that injury for many years. I still suffer from it from time to time. It was a bad scar. And it wasn't done. I didn't sit on the bedpost at all. So, and every, there's many people with plenty of medical uh, proof that something very strange happened to them. So, yeah, the abductions are real or were real. They seem to peak in the late 70s and backed off through the 80s and into the 90s. And now they're much more rare. But the same people who had those abductions are often in very intricate, very strange contact experiences. And the question is whether or not anything that they are reporting makes a sling, single bit of sense as an open one, including this guy, including me. Uh, in the beginning of them, I analyze 11 stories from people who have had basically either non-abduction related con contact or post-abduction co continuing contact. And those stories are very, very strange. In fact, they're so strange that I think most of the high, high, uh, higher ups who read them are going to think, oh, this is too strange to be real. I, this, these people must all be crazy. The opposite is true. If it wasn't too strange to be real, then it would be false. In truth, high strangeness and reality are sister and brother in this experience. Made. Um, I serve on the National Security Subcommittee for the Financial Services Committee, so I really want to stay in the national security lane, uh, if I may. Um, so when we think about traditional adversaries and uh, both us uh, towards them and them towards us, you know, we probe uh, their capabilities. We look for weaknesses, uh, and we, we collect that data, that reconnaissance for in the, in the event we need it in the future. Um, for each of you, yes or no question. Based off of your own experience or the data that you've been privy to, is there any indication that these UAPs could be uh, essentially uh, collecting reconnaissance information? Mr. Graves? Yes. Mr. Grush? Fair assessment. Yeah. Mr. That's Fravor? Very possible. Again, in the national security vein, uh, is it possible that these UAPs would be probing our capabilities? Yes or no, Mr. Graves? Yes. Grush? Yes. Fravor? Definitely. Is it possible that these UAPs are testing for vulnerabilities in our current systems? Yes. Yes. Possible. 
Do you feel, based off of your experience and the information that you've been privy to, that these UAPs provide an existential threat to the national security of the United States? Mr. Graves? Potentially. Yes, sir, potentially. Uh, same answer, potentially. Yeah, I'd say Fravor. definitely, potentially. Mr. Graves and Fravor, you know, in the event that your encounters had become hostile, would you have, would, have, would you have had the capability to defend yourself, your crew, your aircraft? Absolutely not. Sir? No. Is, based off of the information that you've been privy to, is there any indication that these UAPs are interested in our nuclear technology and capabilities? Yes. By external observation, sure, that could be a fair assessment, yeah. Yes. Is there any indication that the Department of Energy is involved in UAP data collection and housing? I don't have an answer. I can't confirm or deny that in a public setting. And no, could no. you do it in a, in a secure setting? Yes. Mr. Fravor? No, I don't know. Mr. Chairman, um, you know, I think I'm the last member to go, but there clearly is a threat to the national security of the United States of America. As members of Congress, we have a responsibility to maintain oversight and be aware of these activities so that, if appropriate, we take action. I would encourage the chairman to demand that we have any and all, but in particular Mr. Grush, uh, talk to us in a skiff. And if that access is denied, I will personally volunteer to uh, initiate the Holman Rule against any personnel or any uh, program or any agency that denies ac access to Congress. Mr. Chairman, with that, I will yield the remainder of my time to my fellow colleague from Tennessee, Mr. Burchett. We do have to have a sense of empowerment, the ability to control our side of the of the relationship as best we can but i have to be frank it's not going to happen in 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 this way the weapons are probably not entirely useless but pretty close in them i describe a video which appeared on youtube I downloaded it because it may not still be there, of uh, a couple of UAPs which were hovering over a forward fire base in Afghanistan. Missiles were called in. The missiles strike the UAPs and explode. The dust clears and the UAPs are still sitting there. They haven't moved an inch, not an inch. We don't necessarily have the capacity to do really anything physically here. Maybe some. I mean, maybe there are beam weapons or something that, that would work and that do work. I don't know. But that's really not what we need. We don't need to fight them off. We need to figure them out. We need to figure out basically how can this help us. How can it help mankind? I'm sitting here in a boiling hot apartment, uh, and I'm in a cool part of the United States, and my family in Texas is wilting, and I'm sure millions of you are wilting too. And this is terminal. 
another couple of summers, we might not even be here. And, and you know, th th this happened. The visitors are completely indifferent to the blame game. They just say, well, it's overpopulation. And we warned you. Uh, they're they, they're going to come. They're liable to come swooping down all right. But I'm not so sure we're going to enjoy it when they do. Remember they what they said. It will come upon them unaware. And I think that means that this is going to all unfold, environmental collapse, much more quickly than we realize. We're not going to be able to fight a war with them while we are fighting to stay alive. And that is where we are. So let's do this differently. And it has to start, start at the bottom with the people. I don't see how it can. I, I cannot imagine anyone in the government capable of leading us into really productive, useful contact because that's simply not their brief. That happens in the living rooms, in the bedrooms, in the hearts, and in the minds of the ordinary people around the world, or it doesn't happen at all. So we come to the end of this journey together through this extraordinary hearing, happening at pretty much exactly the time the visitors told me it would happen, that they would emerge as we lost control of our ability to maintain our planet. And this is part of that emergence. I would like to thank everyone for listening. I would like to thank all of the committee members for doing what they did. I suspect that this will be a drop in the bucket into the media because one thing that has never come up is the extent of the relationship and the connections between the media and the intelligence community. Unfortunately, newspapers, magazines, and uh, other media which rely on the Defense Department for sources are going to also let the Defense Department call the shots when it comes to something that traditionally has seemed very unimportant. That's this. What a world. The most important thing that has ever happened has been hidden almost so long that it's going to become useless to us. And the most important thing in the world has been, through all of those years, considered a big laugh. Wow. Maybe we should go extinct. Maybe we'd be better off. I don't think so, though. I love kids. I love human beings. I love the way we think, what we do. I just love it. I love my planet and this place and us. The good, the bad, and the ugly. I love them all. And I love you too. So let's find a way to somehow blunder along together. Maybe the visitors will decide to come out a little bit more in the open and uh, end up in your living room. <laughs> God help you. I've had that experience, and it's interesting. Very, very interesting. See you next week on Dreamland. You've been listening to Dreamland. Be sure to tune in again next week. Dreamland is brought to you by UnknownCountry.com and its family of subscribers. Our theme music is The O of Pleasure by Ray Lynch. 
Unknown Country was founded by Ann Streber. Our news editor is Matthew Frizzell. Our coordinator is Amy Safrankova. Whitley Streber is your Dreamland host, and I'm your announcer, Ted Alexander.